You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I am having a very bad day. I am in no mood. This, today, is one of the worst days that I've had in a long time. Out of all the things in the entire world that we could talk about on this beautiful day in Louisville, Kentucky, we have unfortunately decided to talk Louisville football. It's what we're here for. We need to talk about who we go to to get a refund on our predictions because clearly things last week did not go well. Jacob Lane from the state of Louisville.com, Matt McGavick of the Louisville Report, and of course our favorite football contributor, Vince Lococo, joins us here again today to talk about, um, unfortunately, what was just an absolute ass beating, right? I mean, I don't think there's any way around it. Before we get into that, a lot of college football action. Did you guys spend as much time this weekend watching college football as I did? I know, Matt, you were showing up to empty stadiums 12 hours early and all this crazy stuff. Do you guys watch any football this weekend? Yeah, I did actually. Um, before I showed up to MBS so many hours early, can, since I haven't actually been able to just sit down and watch college football for a couple of years now, just because of my, I guess, lowercase, uppercase J journalist, whatever you want to call it. Like I, just because game, I have to cover games on Saturdays, I haven't really had that many opportunities to just sit down on a Saturday and watch college football. And since Louisville didn't play until Labor Day, I had ample opportunity to catch up on some teams. I watched a little bit of uh, uh, Kentucky and ULM uh, for like a half. Um, I watched Oklahoma escape from Tulane, which that kind of surprised me. That was that was crazy. How can you imagine if if Oklahoma played them at New Orleans if that game game didn't get relocated? That's that crazy that they were going to play at Tulane. I did not know that until mm-hmm. the next day or the day after. I mean, talk about kudos to Oklahoma for going to play at a smaller school. I mean, most big you know power five conference schools are not doing that well it, it's hard to say that they're going to play at a, a small school when when Tulane plays in the Superdome so that's, that's true probably, I'll give that's you that. probably why so, they agreed to play there and probably more of a that, neutral field game than anything yeah and then I after guess. that game I watched Alabama beat the dog bleep out of Miami just Ooh, now, that I, I, I watched that for like maybe a quarter and I was like yeah Miami's just not winning this game and then I, I watched Clemson and Georgia off and on. So I think I was doing a little bit of writing at that point. And I, I was shocked to see Clemson struggle as much as they did. But then again, Georgia, they've always been known for their really good defenses, but they looked damn good, especially that front seven. Louisville's in trouble playing Clemson. That's all I know. Every game I watched this weekend, I was just thinking, like, Louisville wouldn't be very good against them. And what a showing for the Atlantic Coast Conference, guys. (laughs) Man, it wasn't as bad as Washington getting beat by, what, Montana, Montana Montana. State, or whatever it was over the weekend. But, yes, the ACC absolutely uh, dropped the ball there. Vince, anything good from the college football weekend from you? Uh, I watched basically the same games you guys did. I watched watched the whole Kentucky game, actually. And – I actually watched a little bit of uh, women's volleyball. I watched my sister play. She plays for Bellarmine. Shout out to the Bellarmine Knights. Yep. Absolutely. So they got their first dub on Friday. That was pretty cool to see. Well, hey, first time I've ever seen my sister win a volleyball game as well. Because it's always in football season. So I would go during uh, any of the big games. I was so, going to say, what is she? Is like she's just never been on a good team? No, or? she's been on phenomenal teams. Her, her you've just not, you've just not been, been there. Some of the best teams right. in the country. It's just with football, I've never had the right schedule to where I can go watch her all the time. Well, so, thank God, know. thank God you weren't in Atlanta on Monday night. You got to <laughs> at least watch some winning sports, I guess. It's, and see, now the that you're there, you they're one to know when you're there, so you know that you're, you could be a good luck charm. You never know. Well, I stood up the whole game, and now the joke is I can't sit down the rest of the time. Yeah. I do, so. Nope. 
All right. Where do we want to start? Um, uh, man, I, you know, how about I, I start because I'm the one that actually drove down to Atlanta. Okay. Why don't you game. give us a bit? Let, why don't you, let's do this. How about you give us a, a quick Matt synopsis of this, of the game. Give us uh, your perspective from what you saw covering the game. And then we're going to introduce a new segment here. So why don't you go ahead and do that, Matt? I mean, I'll, I'll keep it short. Cause I mean, I, it, it's hard to really get, deep into what we saw just without just being completely blunt but I'll be honest going into that game I didn't think Louisville was going to win I thought if they if they executed at a high level if they kept it competitive they had a shot to win I think that was pretty much the only way Louisville was going to escape with a win and just from the first drive I mean the first drive they did some good things until it stalled out at midfield but beyond that they they didn't execute I mean, the entire offense was just abysmal. I mean, the offensive line couldn't block. The wide receivers couldn't get open. Malik, he had a couple offline throws, but he, I'm honestly, as much heat as he's taken from a lot of fans, he is, he's probably the best offensive showing in that first half. It, it just didn't seem like it because he was running for his life trying to find guys that weren't open. Okay, but and, let me stop you right there. Let me stop you right there. I, I have to jump in here. The fans going after Malik Cunningham, we need to talk about this for a second. I want to know what they are seeing that we're not because what I saw, Vince, tell me what you think here, because you are the the guy that's been in the rooms. You've been with the wide receivers. Um, I I thought Scott Satterfield's comments were extremely off base at halftime. And I even texted Matt to ask if, uh, if he had heard what he had said. Um, But the offensive line, we got to start there. We got to have a conversation about Jack Bicknell because uh, I said this on a couple of episodes ago, about these statements that the coaches are making. We want to, the coaches want to give a, the fans a hard time or people want to give the hard, the fans a hard time for getting upset over not performing to standards. When you go out and you've coached an NFL offensive line, you've coached SEC offensive lines and you call it the best offensive line you ever coach. They better be running mother effers over from the first play of the game. And I tell you what, I didn't see that. And I saw Ole Miss rushing three players. That's it. Five guys yeah. couldn't handle three players. That was probably the most surprising part. The amount of three-man rushes that Ole Miss threw out and the amount of times that Louisville just simply could not hold it. I mean, that's one thing if you're getting pressure from the sides, you can kind of like adjust the pocket, kind of adjust your foot and they try and look downfield. When you're getting pressure right up the middle, there's no way for you to go except like to try and escape because that that's the probably the worst that's the worst place you want to get pressure is right in front of it because you have to move, you have to relocate to try and, and like salvage the play and at there were so many times where the play was busted immediately after the ball snapped. It, it looked like 2018. I mean, 2018, the offensive line literally, and I know the offensive line was bad last year, especially against Western Kentucky to start, but uh, I'm talking about no time. I'm talking about the ball is snapped and there's guys in your face right there. I thought it was really interesting. Jeff Nunn of uh, Cardinal sports zone shared a couple of pictures from the weekend that really kind of told the story poetically of Malik, Malik Cunningham's night of just being pressured right away. I don't get it, Vince. Tell, tell, uh, help me understand this, man, because you've got a six-year senior at center, a fifth-year senior at center, whatever, whatever it is. You've got a, a left guard who's played in the starting lineup now for three years. Uh, Adonis Boone was heralded as this guy who was going to bring a lot of athleticism to the line. Uh, Brian Hudson was in on the second drive of the game. I mean, Adonis Boone didn't last a drive. Uh, and then you make a change with Michael Gonzalez quick. I mean, what happened? What happened? I, I – I, to me, it's a testament to Coach Ledford and how good of an offensive line coach Coach Ledford truly was and how he resonated and connected with these players. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm so shocked to see Brian early and Michael Gonzalez come in early, but I, I prefer Boone at tackle. Honestly, I was more disappointed with Trevor Reed and the hype that was going on with Trevor. And, I mean, the speed and stuff was there. I know on a couple outside zone blocks, he got out uh, to the guy who was supposed to get to, but it, the physicality just wasn't yeah. there. I mean, when I think offensive right. line, like you said, put MFers in the dirt. Yes. I mean, nasty snot bubbles. They should you be. You better be mauling somebody. Exactly. And it, and it looked like, I mean, that nose tackle was just eating us up all night. I mean, there was a play where Hudson and Cole came together and they were they blocked the nose. They blocked the nose. Brian bumped, bumped him, and he was going to climb. And it's like he bumped him past Cole, almost like Cole wasn't his, his feet weren't underneath him, or he wasn't expecting that. But that's how the play's designed. I was so, I was just really confused as to what was going on with the O line, and that's the things that made you know guys like Makai. I know he's a first round draft pick, and Tyler Haycraft great. Is those were some nasty dudes. You saw. Tyler Haycraft run 30 yards downfield with Javian Hawkins 
and pancake a dude after he already pancaked a dude. There's no double pancaking going on on Monday night. Matt, just quickly wrap up what, what you saw towards the second half. Uh, I know you asked the question today about the adjustments. What did you see in the second half compared to what you saw in the first half? And what were your feelings leaving Mercedes-Benz Stadium? I mean, it, it wasn't all doom and gloom because they did look a lot better in the second half. I know a, a lot of it was garbage time. There's no getting around that. But Ole Miss did keep going back and watching some clips and whatnot. Ole Miss did keep in their starters a little bit longer than I remember. So the fact that they were able to outscore Ole Miss, I think it was 24-17 in the second half, and they were able to get the short passing game going, and they were able to scheme and get some guys open, that was a little bit promising. But just just leaving the stadium just felt shocked because I I no one was really – expecting Louisville to truly win this game, except for maybe Brian in our group DM. Yeah, and Vince. And, so let's not give Vince I, I, I go into every on. game. I, I game prepped against Alabama in 2018. I thought we were going to win that game. Like, are y'all kidding me? I, yeah, I'm not – going into every season <laughs> opener, right. anything can happen. You never know. The, the loss itself was not the most surprising part. It was the manner in which they lost, how unprepared they looked, and just how um, – not even just the players, the coaching staff, they had literal months. I know not every waking moment over the spring and the summer is going to be spent devoted to one game because, I mean, you have to better yourself at some point. But if there are any games where you think you're going to be prepared for any wrinkle, any nook and cranny the opposition can throw out against you, it is your season opener. And the, and it took one drive for their it, – it, it seemingly took one drive for their entire offensive game plan to get thrown out the freaking window. Because they, 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 I mean, Sat said they made some adjustments, um, but they weren't significant enough, at least from what I saw up in the press box. And it just, it, I'm, it's, I'm, I don't want to say I'm speechless. Cause obviously, I'm but you are. I mean, you, matter. you but sound it, it, it's, it's dumbfounding. That's the word I'm looking for. It's dumbfounding how they had all this time and it just didn't materialize from the players, the coaching staff, nothing. It, by the time they made the necessary adjustments that they had to make, it was 26 to nothing. The game was over. There was no energy left on that sideline. It, it, you're exactly right. I, I mean, I, I would go back to the Ole Miss opening drive as you've been sucking the air out of the, the stadium for Louisville. Um, the opening play of the game is a 12-yard slant uh, where your your corners are 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. I mean, I just I just don't understand what Louisville I, I get that you what can't Louisville press saw. every single down, but if you're, good, if you're facing second and 10 or third and 10 or – or, you know, a, a clear passing down, don't play 15 yards off of your man. I get that you want to play a little, like, back off a little bit to anticipate where the, where the receiver's going, but you're just asking them to, to convert the, the downs right there. I mean, don't play 15 yards. Don't play that far downfield. I mean, uh, don't, give, don't give them that much space because like we, saw, we saw Matt Corral eat that defense up, and not even with a lot of those downfield shots. Sure, he had some. But it, I swear to God, Don Terrio Drummond looked like the second coming of, of, dude, of Michael dude. Thomas. He looked like bro. Slant Boy out there. I mean, dude, straight up, I don't think Don Terrio Drummond sweat. I mean, he didn't have to do anything to get the football. And I, I'm going to do this exercise real quick. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I, I'm a disciple of the Matt uh, book of statistics here. And so I took my own game <laughs> notes. Every play I have written down what happened. Let's see. I'm going to just type in. I'm going to hit control F on my thing here and see what Don Terrio Drummond says. 22 yards, first possession. Uh, or first catch, uh, actually, sorry, I'm all the way at the bottom here. Uh, 22 yards, 18 yards, 17 yards, 19 yards. Uh, in the first half, he had four receptions for 102 yards. In the second half, 18 yards, 24 yards, 19 yards. And all of these passes, six-yard touchdown, all of these passes, I just could not even understand why he had the football before uh, – three seconds before you even saw a Louisville player come into the screen on TV. I mean, I, I'm talking, you have yards, yards to get open and run before there's even a defender there. And when you're running this defense where you're, you're blitzing guys, you're running stunts, you're running, you know, you're trying to fake the blitz. You're trying to, you know, confuse them. What are they? I mean, he's not even, he can walk and he's going to catch an 18 yard pass. I just do not understand what happened where the breakdowns were. Uh, and I I don't want to keep going on to this because I Vince I want to get into your game notes we've got, we've got some great imaging here from our good friend Presley Meyer it's going to bring this segment in beautifully but what I want to understand before we get into this Vince set the set the the kind of table for me here Scott Satterfield and Malik Cunningham both post game talked about Ole Miss ran a different defense than what they were expecting 
How does that happen? We're playing football in 2021 without a head coach. And how do we know, how do we not know that there's the potential to run a defense they didn't run last year? Well, you think they're just going to show up and run the same shit they ran last year when they sucked? Like, that's what I just don't understand. What were you doing all summer? You got to anticipate how, uh, Obviously, they're going to change their defense. They sucked last year on defense, like you said. They're, they're going to change it. And in doing that, these other schools, what they like to do in the spring is Zoom, text, call, all these other coaches that run a similar style of defense to what they're running, but it's just a little bit more efficient or it works in a different way. So I, I think that Lane and them called in somebody else. They figured out, okay, this is what we're doing wrong. This is how we get the most out of the guys that we have and that's exactly what they did that Saturday and they switched up their game plan from possibly what we were running but that's still no excuse to not make the proper adjustments in game that the staff knows football they they know how to make the adjustments can you imagine how bad this game would have gotten if Lane Kiffin did not have COVID I mean I'm not I'm not sure it would have been any different I mean look here, here's the thing that was just like disrespectful. Like we're talking, it's 46 to 24, whatever the score is. Matt Corral is still out there throwing 14 yard slant routes with four minutes to go. Like and, and there was just no resistance at all. And they, I don't want to say they were running the score up, but what they saw was weakness. And uh, okay. All right, I'm going to end. Running, running your offense isn't point. running the score up. It's not. It's not. It's just basically saying to the other side of the field, you guys just can't stop this. And it's that simple. All right, Vince, you, you texted me during the game on Monday night. You told me that you had some great notes in your notebook. And now it is the time to tell us what those notes say. Vince's game notes, new segment. Here we go. It's time to get down to brass tacks. It's Vince's game notes. With Vincent Lacoco. Anytime you start with a three-minute drive to open up the game, that's that's never a good. That's never going to be a good look for us. I mean, it's going to kill the sideline, like Matt was saying. Uh, early on, it seemed like the RPO was killing us. Things like that, the over routes, uh, the cushion was just a little bit too much. And a lot of times with these inside wide receivers, what they'll do is they'll they'll give them an option. So if Kendrick's twenty yards off the field, okay, I'm going to break it off in front of Kendrick's face, and I'm going to take it fifteen instead of my actual twenty yards. So they're going to read it off of those guys. And, uh, you know, it's not good like we talked about pre uh, on the previous show. We needed a D-line push, and we seemed to not get that at all whenever uh, during the game. I mean, Yasir had that one sack. I'm not sure as to why we didn't continue to run stunts, various different things, pick guys, stuff like that. Maybe send, you know, send a linebacker, send Monty on the outside whenever he was in before he was ejected and things like that. Speaking of Monty, that killed that killed the defense. I mean, and Nick coming in, I have all the faith in the world at Nick at linebacker, but you have to anticipate that they're going to run the ball at you. You are an outside linebacker who can play inside, but Lane Kiffin and them know you as an outside linebacker. So to them, you're a weakness, and it showed that you were a weakness during those three plays. And even on the touchdown play that they ran right there, uh, Jack gets off his block right there. We can still, I mean – they, they, who knows, they might have scored two, however many plays later, but we could have lived to play another down at least. You never know. We could have got a strip or something like that after. Let me – one thing real quick I want to point out. <laughs> I want to applaud you, Matt, because on our prediction show when we did the superlatives, we talked about the I'm not buying the hype award, and you called out the inside linebacking depth, and you talked about what happens if Monty or CJ goes out. I told you. And like, that's, that was sure a enough, Sure enough that he goes out. I, first of all, I thought it was interesting that they moved Nick to, to inside. I thought we'd see uh, KJ Cloy. We'd see Jalen Alderman. We see some of the guys, Dorian Jones, who have been here for a while, and they went Nick Okeke, and uh, you, uh, you mentioned it. It's a good move. They got versatility, but that just kind of exposes that there's just not a ton of other guys there. Yeah, uh, uh, I agree. Uh, one thing I wanted to see a little bit more of is Gelati. I mean, Ashton, when he's in, that kid's a difference maker. He's a, he looks good. He looks he, – He was one of the lone bright spots on defense. You, we heard nothing uh, all summer about – nothing but his motor – and it, it, it showed up when he was in the game. He, he It didn't matter where he was on the field, like if the play was over, if not, he, he kept going. I commend him. Uh, overall, just defensively, I thought it was a, I mean, poor, obvious. I mean, obviously it was just poor. Uh, like I said, no pressure is going to cause for quarterback to just sit back there and pick us apart as much as he wants to. Sat said the tackling wasn't that good and his 
the interview he just did today. But uh, personally, I thought the tackling was better than what it was in I agree. previous years. I agree. I, I mean, thought Kendrick, Kendrick, Kendrick Duncan, Duncan yeah. yeah. Yeah, they like, pop, man. Him and Cole, they both pop. They they're not afraid to hit anybody. I just they, think they, they, they were, were missing they were, line. There were a little bit of arm tackles on some of those outside plays. But, no, I agree. The tackling did seem overall better. Was it great? I wouldn't say no. no. I mean, there were there not. were times where it wasn't that good. <laughs> but, I mean, comparatively speaking, it, it looked better than what we've seen. But there's still some very clear signs of, of, you know, areas of improvement that need to be made. Offensively, in my opinion, uh, for whatever reason, it looked like Sat kept things extremely vanilla to the first however many drives. I mean, okay. you look at all these other games, you look at Miami versus uh, with Alabama. Yeah, Miami, Alabama, uh, Oklahoma, even Oklahoma, these other schools in their season openers, they're not – when they, it's a big game, they're not keeping it vanilla. We didn't start with EKU. We had EKU the second game of the year. And by this time, it's year three. People have tendencies on us. They know – everybody kind of has a gist of what we run and everything. So why would you not go ahead and take your shots early and try and catch them off guard, catch them on their heels, things like that. They know that Louisville's base package is out of the pistol and a stretch run. I mean, that's that's yeah. Louisville's base right it, there. It, exactly. I, I don't know who it was that tweeted. It was one of the former players that played for Sat, but it was the tweet was just stretch left, stretch right, play action. It was Gigi. Pass. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, it was. I mean, like that was it. That's what we saw. And um, you made the comment that the play calling was uh, was vanilla look man i'm gonna be real honest with you matt I, I apologize if this is a little too far but he looked scared man he looked scared they showed him on tv and he looked uncomfortable i'm dead serious like you can tell when a coach has confidence he looked shook man he looked rattled from the beginning of the game and his play calling reflected it uh and there's good reason for louisville fans to be clamoring for an offensive coordinator being hired the play calling is just not good enough to call yourself the offensive coordinator that that would be like you know, I, I'm trying to think of an example. I, I'm not going to be able to think of one on the spot because I'm not witty enough. But, like, you can't just say, like, I'm the captain of the boat and then not know how to drive the boat. Like, you got to be able to, to lead the ship. And this isn't the Sun Belt. Like, I'm going to say that, and that's going to be a popular phrase throughout the rest of the season. This isn't the Sun Belt. This is the SEC national television game opener. You're play calling at least. I would be much more okay today talking about Louisville getting beat if the play calling was was a little if bit they risky. Were risky. If they Malik were risky, if they took risks, they took shots, they took chances. Kicks. Exactly, but they didn't. They played it safe, and they got their ass kicked, and that's what's going to continue to happen on the big stage, playing it safe. No coach has ever made it here playing it safe. Yeah, John well, Smith didn't play it safe. Uh, Steve Crackdorf didn't. He got canned. Charlie Strong didn't play it safe. Sean Watson did. He got canned. Um, Bobby Petrino didn't play it safe and he went out guns blazing like two and 10. Like that's what, it, that's what happens sometimes, but there was no sense of swag. There was no sense of confidence. There was fear from the sideline, from the head man. And it reflected in everything else. I'm talking seniors not lined up in the right spot. Um, the, the, the whiff on the, the, what would have been a touchdown on the end around a pass from Braden Smith to Malik Cunningham. If Michael Gonzalez just looks up two seconds earlier, that's a touchdown, man. And I don't want to continue to to bash on the players, but I'm saying what I saw on television, Ole Miss had to smell blood in the water. Sat looked scared. He looked like he wasn't prepared for that big moment, and it showed. And Vince, like to go back to your comments last week about the Notre Dame game in 2019, dude, the swagger from them, from that game opener against Notre Dame was so much different. Right away you saw, okay, they can play with these dudes. On yep. Monday night, it was like, nah, man, this ain't this ain't it. This team's yeah, not good enough. Completely agree. You saw that from just from the first snap. I mean, personally, going into the game, that's that's what I felt. I'm like, okay, this is, you know, Notre Dame 2019 kind of a style. This is a big opponent where nobody expects us to do anything during this. Obviously, us as fans have high expectations for our team and we want them to win. But around the country, nobody really expected us to make any noise. And that's, I mean, that's what we did. We went out there and laid an egg, basically. So, yeah, okay. uh, it's a great way. All right. Any other game notes that you have for us? I want to come back to these throughout the rest of the episode. I just, I want you to sprinkle in game notes as we talk about whatever just, we're talking there, about. There was one play. I can't, I believe it was the second drive of the game. Uh, I can't find it on my notes, but uh, it continued to pop up throughout the game as Malik not making the right read on, not on his passes, but on his runs. As you all know, I mean, we basically run a triple option where we either give it, Malik can pull it, and he can throw it on the edge right there. There are a it's, lot of times where Malik could have like, pulled it. 
it seems like their RPOs are getting blown up immediately. Like they, they didn't they didn't have the time to necessarily run their mm-hmm. RPOs, and even when they did, they they didn't make the correct reads half the time. I, agree. I mean, there was one third down that I wrote down that stuck out to me particularly. I mean, it just looked like either Jalen clamped down on it, or Malik didn't feel comfortable enough for whatever reason. I remember that there was an yeah. R, there was an RPO where they both couldn't decide who wanted to take the ball, so they both held onto it, and they both basically ran into the line of scrimmage together. It was it was a third down play. I mean, we would have got a first down if he would have pulled pulled the ball right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, what else? I can we, I can we can live, go like, on to the next one. Let's hit the we can go to the next one. I, I can live with Malik Cunningham in that situation, making yeah. the wrong read. Whatever the, the dude literally played. I mean, as good of a game in the second half as you could have asked for. In the first half, he. I mean, yeah. the, the stat that Kelly Dickey put out at halftime is. Quite possibly the wild. It's like the Darren McFadden stat, but the bad version of it. Darren McFadden used to throw, run, and catch touchdowns all the time. But Malik Cunningham is out there literally like, can I get some help? Can I get some help? They, I, I mean, in, in the first half, man, I mean, he, the, the half was embarrassing. Leading in passing, receiving, and rushing. Wow. The man was 5 of 13 for 17 yards. So 17 yards. Matt Corral had that in the first four plays of the game. Okay? I just want to throw that out there. Malik Cunningham had 17 yards passing, 54 yards running, and 9 yards receiving. And he led the team in all three stats. The next closest was one catch for 8 yards by Jalen Mitchell in the first half. I mean... You can sit here and you can tell me all day long that you need to do better making adjustments, but the stats just tell the story there that you just, I, I'll say it again. You're just not good enough. It's just not good enough. Okay. And we, we can, let's move in to talking about Scott Satterfield. That's the hot topic around here. It's what everybody's talking about. Um, I, I will be quite honest. My opinion has not changed. I still, despite what I saw on Monday night, I still believe Louisville can win at least seven or eight games. I do. The I first agree. game didn't. Okay, the outcome was not what we wanted. But it's we all one said it was, game. It's one game. They're 0-1 like Matt and I predicted. Vince is the only one who is way off because he predicted them to win 35-21. to 21. He's 0-2 to start the season, but we're just 0-1. <laughs> like, like, that's what it is. It's 0-1. So if you come back out, and you play yeah, – I mean, you're you're essentially being – God is gifting Scott Satterfield the worst defense that they could play in week two to get things right. Um, and, then, and they look like are. the 85 Bears. <laughs> you go on to week three, and if you beat Central Florida, we're moving on, and life is good, and we're going into the ACC, legit thinking we can still compete for the second spot. But if you come out on Saturday, not even worried about it. Like, it's Eastern Kentucky. They, they beat Western Carolina in the opener. Good for them. Bravo. Western Carolina is usually a pretty formidable foe in the FCS. But this is Louisville. They're going to beat their absolute doors off of them. Week three now becomes the game where if they lose that, I think um, there's no return. There's no return for the fans. I think that's it. I think that's where the fans are done. If they lose to Central Florida, a, a, an AAC school, no disrespect, um, but if they lose that game, man, I mean, you have a real, real conundrum on your hands here as to what to do with the program, because this program cannot survive without the fans. Um, the football program is not the basketball program. It's not well established in tradition. Um, they, they were playing in a, a, a baseball stadium for so many years or in a, a whatever you want to call Cardinal Stadium. They made their way up. They earned their way to here. Louisville fans have been involved in that all the way. And if a Louisville, if Louisville fans lose interest in the program, the stadium won't have anybody in the seats. Um, thank God the red, right? I mean, I know the show name becomes irrelevant, but thank God the seats at least look good now. Uh, uh, but you have fans who aren't buying the tickets. They're not showing up. The support is drifting away. Who knows what could happen at that point? Uh, at that point, who knows? Um, but Scott Satterfield, fans want him out. Fans are done with him. I still think that we need to just kind of hit the brakes a little bit here. Let's relax because I know that everybody thought we were going to beat Ole Miss, especially John 942 on Twitter, who believes that Louisville's going to win every game, but it's Ole Miss, okay? numbers. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's the, it's the formula of Twitter that that person, of course they believe Louisville's going to win the game. They didn't, they move on week two, you win, you take care of business and you move on and, and we can get this behind us. Um, but I'm, I'm going to, continue to say if they if they just can look like they're not prepared not good enough that that's when i have a problem man that's when i have a real problem because this guy's getting paid a lot of money to make this football team good and right right now i'm not watching good football in fact i'm watching a team that looks like they're quickly slipping into irrelevance in the acc 
Mm -hmm. So a, a couple things based on uh, all that you just said. Uh, going to the actual UCF game itself, I'm not going to break down that because, I mean, that's two weeks away. I don't need to get into that. But I remember, I think it was our uh, season preview episode a couple episodes ago, how we were kind of debating on what would be the quote-unquote litmus test for this team. I went with the Boston College game. I think you went with the Florida State game, I, I think I, I, Florida State, NC State kind of sprinkled in there, two different but, ones, but yeah. I mean, I, I hate to, to change that answer after one game, but I think the litmus test is now the UCF game because if you lose this game, I'll, I'll, I'll actually I'll backtrack. With the, if Louisville looks good and they're competitive and for some reason they still lose, I can see a way in which the fans still rally. But if if it's your standard run-of-the-mill loss, if there is such a statement, or if they get blown out again, I mean, I, I hate to be one that mails it in a fourth of the – literally a fourth of the way through the season. Yeah. But if you go one and two in the manner that they potentially can go, the, the, the fans will, will not show up for the rest of the season. And I, I wouldn't blame them because the, it wouldn't be good football. Uh, the fans would vote with their feet. They would show their displeasure with the program. And, I mean, after seeing it unfold, the, and I, I had a feeling that, that this might happen, opening up the season maybe one and three or one and two or something like that. But I didn't anticipate Louisville potentially looking this bad doing it. And then going to Scott Satterfield himself and all the noise that's being generated calling for his head. I entering the season was someone who I wouldn't say like a vehement supporter of Satterfield, but I was saying, let the cake bake, let the season unfold. Let's see more of what he has to offer the season. Cause again, one game, but after seeing how Louisville looked on Monday night against Ole Miss, how unprepared they looked, how undisciplined the, the players looked and, and just the pure lacks of execution across the board I still think Satterfield can potentially get be the guy to right the ship and get things going I still think he has potential to turn Louisville around guide the Cardinals to a good season and we're not even having a conversation like this of like a few weeks from now but and, and I was listening to the um the radio on the way back up the drive from Atlanta and Mark Ennis said the best on his show I I no longer think the people who want Satterfield gone are crazy after seeing the predictable play calling, the vanilla play calling, just getting your ass beat in situations you think you're not going to just get blown out, I am no longer going to look at someone and say, I, don't, I think you're out of line saying he should be fired. Because he's starting to build a portfolio for him getting a pink slip. It's not there yet, but it's damn near, it's, 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 it's generating steam. It's in its fair criticism because exactly what we talked about. Okay. Year one, you win eight games. Okay. So you've moved the bar for yourself. You've shown that you can win football games in the ACC year two COVID year. You go, you win four games. You you're in some games that if the ball bounces another way or it goes this way, then you're probably looking more at a 500 season. Okay. We're, we're ahead of schedule at that point compared to what we knew in 2018 when Bobby got fired. But the problem is, is that this offseason, the comments they made, they made them, not us, not, not Mark Ennis, not Nick Coffey, not uh, Tyler Griever, not anybody that covers Louisville football. They said them. They called the offensive line the best they've ever coached. They called the trenches the best they've ever had since they've been there. They put the bar uh, higher than where I think a lot of people thought it would be. Uh, and a lot of fans were even unhappy with where that bar was. Uh, but they go out and they don't show any sign of being able to coach at that level. That's the thing. Go ahead, Vince. I, the thing that gets me is how they were saying, like both of you all said, this is the best offensive line they've coached. I find that hard to believe that this offensive line is better than the Mekhi Beckton at tackle, Caleb Chandler at guard, Cole Bentley at center. And that oh, offensive line wasn't even that good. Let's be realistic. They weren't offer, even that good. Yeah. Smart, I, very smart football players. I do want to offer a little bit of clarification on that line because I'm the one that asked the question, like what the potential 
of this offensive line could beat a big nail. I, his answer to that statement, it was a direct response to a question I asked. And his, his exact statement was, this has potential to be the best college offensive line that I have ever okay. coached. Okay. Okay. It doesn't change that, anything for me. It's the same thing. I mean, I get that, but it's semantics, I know. But th- that's a little bit where the clarity is. Obviously, he's got experience in the NFL and a college O-line. It's not going to be better than the pros. It's, it's not happening. Period. Oh, I'm going to bite my tongue here. I'm, I'm going to. Because why are your dudes line. getting their asses blown 10 yards backwards within the point first two seconds of the ball being snapped? Like, is the defensive line that bad in practice? Like, what is going on? I know the ones and ones don't go head to head, but like, is this a practice issue? Like what? I just don't get it. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm going to chalk it up as it's game one. Let's get it out of the way. Okay. We've seen it. Okay. Now the bar has been set on what we don't want to look like and what we don't want to see. Uh, and from here on out, it's up to them to make the change. Um, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. Um, uh, but I, I do think we would be naive to not talk about candidates and what is out there because when you fire a coach, you have to hire a coach, right? Mm-hmm. You have to hire a football coach and you can't fire a coach if you don't know who you're going to hire. And right now, Louisville fans are throwing out some ridiculous names. You hear Jeff Brom, you hear uh, uh, Matt Campbell, Billy Napier, Jamie Chadwell, Luke Fickle. And I just think fans have kind of lost perspective on where we are in all this. It's the same people that are wanting Chris Mack fired. Okay, say fire him. Who the hell are you going to bring in? That's my point. Who in, who in the ever-loving – I'm, I'm not even going to get on that tangent. I'm just going to shut up right your, now. Your, your point makes sense. We There's nobody that's just an obvious coach to go hire. And so, okay, you fire, you fire Sat. You probably have a buyout or something you have to pay in the contract. And then you already know the athletic department has, you know, budgetary – And issues. then you might have to pay a buyout for the guy you want to hire. <laughs> Exactly. So for me, look, okay, here's the dream scenario. And it's probably crazy, but I'm going to just throw it out there. I think that Louisville fans have brought up an interesting name in Dave Ragone. You're talking about a Louisville guy. Um, I heard Mike Rutherford say some pretty interesting things about that hire on the radio today that I I would encourage fans to go and listen to. Uh, Mike's somebody that's got the got the info there. But um, I think that's an interesting thing, but like, like, let's not talk about this Louisville job as being the sexiest job in the country. Yeah. He played here, but the dude's been an NFL coach for 10 years. He's been, he's worked his way up from a QC up to a QB coach to now an offensive coordinator. Um, and yeah. Uh, okay. The, the, there's guys jumping from the NFL back to college football, but that doesn't mean that Dave Ragone is going to walk in here and all of a sudden never having coach college football be the savior of the program. Stop, man. We're living on this louisville fairy tale like it's not written like that and that's why we have to be realistic with sat okay he got hired to do a job that the circumstances have been a a little bit up in the air there's been a lot of things happen that would kind of cause some uh, you know maybe some some more time needed more time i'm willing to give him that to the end of the year and then the conversation becomes different so that's that any other comments on on scott satterfield because i don't want to beat a dead horse here I believe the man is a good football coach. Is he an, an ACC coach? I don't know. That's got to be um, figured out through the rest of this year. But I think the man deserves the chance to get it turned around this year. And for Louisville fans to just shut up for a little bit. Just shut up. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah, that's, Calling to that's, fire somebody every time something happens bad is not good. Stop. Shut up. Thank you. That That's where thank I'm you. kind of at with everything. I mean, this is my first year out from – doing anything football or football oriented. I, I think the fans welcome to the party, pal. <laughs> pump the brakes a little bit. Pump the brakes. Like sat proof. I mean we won eight games in 2019. How many fans would be thrilled to win eight games this year? Okay, but here's the here's the counter the counter argument to you, okay? Where's the signature win in that season? That's the thing. That's eight wins, but okay, you beat Wake Forest 62 to 59 on a game-winning fourth down conversion. You yep. beat Mississippi State in the bowl game. Okay, SEC win, the only SEC win they have since they've been here. But Mississippi State was missing a head coach, a quarterback, a running back, a wide receiver, an offensive coordinator, defense. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. There's the reason why fans are poking holes in those arguments because they won eight games. How good is the ACC? We don't really know. But I get it. They won eight games. A lot of teams want to win eight games. We we lose and we just lost the opener. It's game one. Like all right, let game let's one. talk. Let's talk game two. Okay, Eastern Kentucky's not a sexy opponent, but I can't tell you guys. Look, we've talked for thirty minutes at this point about uh, how bad Monday night sucked, but I can't wait to sit in my seat on Saturday night, wear my Louisville red. I'm not in the press box, so I can cheer. 
I can't wait. Like, I can't wait to get back out there and and drink Cardinal Stadium beer and cheer and have a blast and watch Louisville kick Eastern Kentucky's ass. What do we want to see? Because Louisville's going to win this game. We know that's going to happen. What is it that is most important to be seen? Matt, what do you think? I mean, just just look better. Execute. I, it just, it, I, I know that you're supposed to beat up EKU. If you, if you even remotely struggle with this, there are deeper issues at hand here. But I just want to see execution. I know that's not asking a lot, but after seeing what I saw down in Atlanta, I mean, I, I want to see something that will make the – not the entire fan base because you can't please everybody. I want to see something that will make – that will re-remind fans of what Louisville does have. Like the guys that Louisville does have and what they're capable of. Yeah, there, there's still some question marks in some position groups, but there is potential across the board. I want them to, I want fans, I want Louisville to execute to a point where fans walk away from that game with the thought, okay, now I, I, I see what the Cardinals are rocking with and what they could do. Now I have a little bit of faith restored moving forward. I know you're not going to get that a lot against EKU. You're, you, it's asking a lot, but they, they just need to be quite bluntly, they need to beat the shit out of EKU. I mean, I think that's simple fair. enough. I, I, I think that's what fan, I think fans want to leave at halftime in the game be 50, like thirty-eight to nothing at halftime. Like, I don't yeah. think fans want to watch a game where there's any sort of competition. Like, I think Louisville fans just need to see Louisville kick somebody's ass and be the big boy for once. Like, stop being the team that gets their ass kicked and be the team that kicks the ass. Like, that's that's what I think Louisville fans need to get their juices. Be the going. hammer, not the nail. Yes. Yes. Treat, right. treat EKU how you are supposed to treat EKU. You are supposed to walk out there and be the better team on the field. Walk over them. O-line, pancake the people. I mean, D-line, get pressure, sacks, turnovers. I mean, I, I want to see at least two turnovers on defense from the back end. I'm not talking fumbles or anything. Like, I want to see this quarterback has a – he's at 71% on his uh, passing – on his completions, I believe. So – and – EKU's 100% in the red zone going back to 2020. So I want to see us come out and just steamroll them, run through them. We have two phenomenal running backs. I still have faith in Hassan Hall. I think sometimes the game gets to him, and whenever he makes a mistake like that fumble, it kind of can shut him off. It, it can go one or two ways with him. It's either going to shut him off or, you know, it might elevate him to a different level. But I want to see those guys hit on all cylinders. All right, so for those of you who don't know much about Eastern Kentucky, welcome to the party. Neither of us here do either. But <laughs> oh, I got some more here. They got an all-conference. What a, yeah, I'm, I'm giving Jackson this one to Season <laughs> FCS All-American Team 2020, 2021. Uh, that's about all I got, though. That's more than what I had, man. <laughs> his game notes do not extend to Eastern Kentucky, but here's what I know, okay? I did some writing on Eastern Kentucky today, so here's what I know about what we can expect. Expect a heavy dose of Dewan Hewitt, their running back transfer out of Purdue, played one year there, transferred down a level. Um, and you, you don't hear a lot about the guys that go from the you know power conferences down to the FCS level, but uh, it's always good to see them have success. He had three touchdowns in the first three quarters of the game against Western Carolina uh, last weekend. He's a guy that is – capable of doing a lot of things with the football in his hands. Louisville's got to put helmets on him, got to be able to put um, the, the running. Just don't get called for targeting. Don't. Yeah. I shouldn't say don't put, don't put helmets on them. Yeah. <laughs> um, expect a lot of, of, of short passes. Parker McKinney uh, threw for uh, like two thirty-five. their quarterback in the first um, game of the season. Um, got the ball out to their weapons. Mo Edwards, Jr., Jaden Smith, Matt Wilcox really did a good job of spreading the ball out. I think they hit seven or eight different receivers. So I expect them to kind of replicate what Ole Miss did at the passing game or at least try to. Um, and then some good news for Louisville fans. Um, you, you think Louisville's defense was bad. Um, the defense for Eastern Kentucky, a lot worse uh, than what – I mean, well, Louisville gave up 7.8 yards per play on – Monday night, Eastern Kentucky gave up six yards per play, but they did it against a much worse offense from Western Carolina. They gave up 501 yards of total offense and still won the football game. That is what makes coaches from the 1940s just roll in their grave. I'll tell you that. But uh, Eastern, Kentucky, Big Ten football. <laughs> Eastern Kentucky has talent. They have the ability to um, – uh, you know, to to really kind of press Louisville early if they if they are not you know there mentally and not prepared. 
So definitely something to watch out for. But the bad defense, Louisville's offense, if they have any issues against this defense, I mean, I don't think they will, but we're going to be having some interesting conversation next week heading into Ole Miss, uh, into um, UCF because UCF is essentially just a little mini old Miss. And if Louisville can't score or can't uh, put the points out that they need to, they are going to be in for a world of trouble. I'll tell you that. Yep. Uh, back on just a little bit more EKU. Their running back had 78 yards, three touchdowns on 22 carries last game and was the A-Sun. Uh, Hewitt was tabbed as the A-Sun Offensive Player and Freshman of the Week. Yep. While Kicker yeah. was, yeah, I know we don't want to talk about that, but he was a special team player of the week. Hey, punters are people too. <laughs> Speaking of punters, yeah, we, we, saw, we, saw the, we saw the beginning of a star punter this past weekend with um, – Mark Vassett from Louisville. I thought he did a good job. And uh, he averaged yeah. 43, I think it was 44.3 yards per punt, which I mean, it's, it's better than Logan Lupo or Ryan Harwell was <laughs> Some, last year. Somewhere yeah. Logan Lupo is definitely jealous. I could tell you that. <laughs> somewhere Logan uh, Lupo is still yelling at the fans. My, my uh, note on our punter was uh, Mason King 2.0 question mark. So uh, okay. I'm going to have to see that consistently. That, uh, <laughs> I mean, hey, I'll, I will take that. There's definitely nothing wrong I, with I, him. I like, uh, him. I like JT, J- James Turner. It's nice to have always have a reliable guy back there kicking the ball for you. Yeah, I mean, that's right. And whenever like, Louisville has been good, they've had a good kicker. And they've exactly. had a good I kicker mean, that started as a freshman and worked their way all the way up to seniors. I mean, historically, since I've been a Louisville fan, you've had five or six kickers who played for five years each. And, and here we are. Like, I'm an adult now, and we've only had five kickers. Like, that, that's just how it works with Louisville. So, it's good to see that. All right, any closing thoughts? We've, we've, we've really kind of had a therapy session here. I feel a lot better. My wife is asking me when I'm going to be done yelling because my daughter's <laughs> trying to go to sleep. Look, there's a lot to be worked up about. She got to see it firsthand in person. It's the reason why I don't watch games with anybody because I don't need to be seen doing that. But let's just all together. Let's just woo-saw, woo-saw, just chill. All right, final thing here. It's my favorite thing on From the Pink Seats, the wonderful, the glorious Matt Stradamus makes his return. Ooh, the predictions. I know I sound like a ghost, but I don't care. I'm going to run with this bid. (laughs) Three predictions for EKU, Matt. What do you got? Matt Stradamus prediction number one. And this is kind of a bold one right out of the gates. Louisville will play close to 100 players in this game. Because, and I say that, because they still haven't figured out who their primary playmakers are going to be on both sides of the ball. And, can, and th- against FCS teams, there are always games where your starters are done pretty much at halftime, and in the second half you play your second, third, sometimes fourth stringers. I mean, after, after what they saw at Ole Miss, I, I think the coaching staff, I mean, if, if they're going to do their due diligence, they need to play as many guys as they can to get as much film live in game reps as they can and figure out from there what they actually have. At least that is something that I believe they need to be need to do. It might not be close to hundred players, but I think you need to get as many guys in there as you can to, to know what you have. I know, a lot of people are going to hear that and say, oh, they had the spring, they had the summer, they should know what they have. I mean, you can only deduce so much from practicing it yourself. The, that is the best impersonation you have ever done. We need to bring whatever that character is back every week. <laughs> the cynic Matt, that's what that is. All right, Matt, prediction yeah. number two from the glorious, wonderful Matt Stradamus. Prediction number three. I don't know what's actually this two. is. So number gonna... two. Number two. Finally. Finally, finally, the coaching staff will open up the playbook. Uh, this is maybe a little bit more hopeful than logistical, but this is the premium opportunity to open up the playbook and figure out what works, what doesn't, what you can execute, and, and figure out things from a situational standpoint. If I watch this game against EKU and they're kicking their ass, but they're doing it in a simplistic way, I'm not going to come away from that victory feeling all that warm and fuzzy about this team moving forward because, I mean, you if you don't beat EKU like a drum against like a, a simple base package, there's there's problems. So I, I want to see them get a little bit more creative, run some stuff that, that we haven't seen before. I know this is something that we thought they were going to do last year. <coughs> Excuse me. But I, this – 
now more than ever, we need to see what this staff can really do on offense beyond just their base package. We have to. Otherwise, you're not going to be a top tier, a top half ACC team. And the coaching staff is not going to last here much longer if they, if they don't open things up. Prediction number three. Prediction number three. I know this one's not as bold because you kind of sprung this on me last minute, but Louisville comes away with multiple turnovers. And it, it might be bold considering how, <laughs> how Louisville's turnover luck has been over the last year in one game. But I mean, it's EKU. They're an FCF squad. They went three and six last year in the three games against power five uh, opponents. They lost by a combined like 105 points or something like that. I mean, there, there is ample opportunities for these guys on defense to, to make some plays both in the secondary, both in the front seven. Th- there are opportunities to be had to come away with the football. If they don't come away with, I mean, I'm across the whole defense, if they don't come away with a minimum of three takeaways, whether that be two fumbles, an interception, two interceptions, a fumble, something to that extent. If they don't come away with a healthy amount of turnovers against a de- against an offense of this caliber, who, who are they going to get turnovers against? Seriously. If, if they can't generate takeaways against an FCS team, there's no hope. There's none. It gets fair. All of that is fair. And I find it oddly surprising that the great Matt Stradamus and his glorious wisdom didn't know that Matt Stradamus was going to be happening on the show tonight. You should have known that ahead of time, Matt. Man, I, I'm, I'm still trying to cycle back to normalcy after a travel day on Tuesday. Excuses, excuses, excuses. Matt and Louisville football program handshake in the middle right there. That's what we've got. <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap it up for us here on week two of the uh, 2021 Louisville football season on From the Peak Seats. I am Jacob Lane. You can find me on Twitter at JacobLane08. And of course, stateofLouisville.com is the website. Be sure you're subscribed not only here to From the Pink Seats podcast, but all of our great uh, State of Louisville podcasts along the State of Louisville podcast network. Uh, and then, of course, follow our good friend and our resident journalist here, Matthew McGavick, at General Wasp. You can check out his work at the Louisville Report, Sports Illustrated. Uh, my, my friend here is our, my go-to for Satterfield quotes and all of the good news on Louisville football. I shouldn't say good news, but all, the, all of the news around Louisville uh, football and Louisville sports. And then, of course, our football correspondent, Vince Lococo. You can find him at Twitter, uh, on Twitter, at Vincent Lococo, exactly how it sounds. And if you ask him, he will look at you like you're stupid, just like he did to me last week. All right, well, that'll do it here. We will catch you guys next week. Uh, if you're at Cardinal Stadium on Saturday night, uh, cheers to some good beer and hopefully some winning football. We'll catch you next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.